Before uh, we get into this morning's message, I want to alert you to some pretty exciting news uh, that's going on in just a matter of moments in our, in our city. This church, we've been here for a long time, over 144 years, and one of the joys that I have about serving here as, uh, as pastor is that I have gotten to, I've had the privilege of getting to know a number of pastors in this city, and there are great, great pastors in this city. And one of the individuals uh, that I've gotten to know is a guy by the name of Matt Sylvester. And right now, uh, in a matter of five minutes, uh, Matt Sylvester will be uh, opening uh, the very first service at a church called Venture Church in Salinas. And we know this, that the body of Christ is diverse, the body of Christ is, is made in such a way that different types of folks go to different types of churches and things like that. And uh, Matt's become a good friend of mine, and I'd like to, right now, offer up their service as they launch this church, Venture Church, uh, for the very first time. I'd like to pray for them right now, so please join me. Father, we thank you so much for the work that you're doing in this city. It is real easy for us, Lord, to get wrapped up in negativity, to get wrapped up in this or that and political stuff here and there and violence and things like that. And it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that you continue changing lives through your gospel. And we thank you for this church here that meets on this corner, and it's been doing that for a long time. And we thank you for the ministry that, that uh, you've provided for us, and we pray that we continue to move forward for you and the gospel. And we would ask now, just as we pray for our church, that you would continue to do a great work in the city, and specifically right now, as Venture Church gets ready to launch, and they launch today. We ask that your gospel would go out in significant ways and powerful ways as Matt Sylvester and the, and the crew of folks there uh, make an impact for your, for your kingdom in this city. Pray that you would give him fresh confidence, fresh courage, fresh insight into how to best represent your kingdom, your, your glory, your, uh, your grace in this city. So bless their service. And may you be lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks for praying uh, for them and keep them in your prayers as well as the other Christ-following communities uh, throughout the city. Little did I know this, that when I began thinking about this upcoming series that we're launching today called Overflow, which is a look at generosity in the Bible, little did I know that this past week would be an amazing week for the lottery. Had no idea. Had no idea. If I, if I could have figured that out, I would have, I would have bought in. I don't know. No, that came out wrong. Um, but I would have, uh, you'd say, wow, that guy's really on it. But I, I claim no credit whatsoever. And I was talking to Mark Rollins just a few moments ago and, and, uh, with what's going on at Star Market. And, and I said, how many people showed up this week to buy lottery tickets? How much money did people spend over the course of those few days? And, and Mark, correct me if I go wrong here, but he said there were upwards of thirty to forty thousand dollars spent on lottery tickets over the course of three to four days. There's a lot of money that goes out, and, and people say, "Well, I'm, it's just two dollars. It's just two dollars." But but I want to I want to bring some things in. Money does strange things to people. The odds of you winning the lottery are 1 in 300 million. 
So yes, there is a chance. (laughs) That being said, 70% of all lottery winners, and and when I'm talking lottery, I'm talking the big number lottery. 70% of all large lottery winners go broke within seven years. They go broke, and everybody says, well, I'm willing to take the risk. You know, I'd love to win that much money or whatever. But 70%, most people go broke. Those are staggering statistics in and of themselves, but here are some more staggering things that caught me off guard as I was working on the message this week. For people who make less than $10,000 a year, they spend close to $600 a year on lottery tickets, which is 6% of what they make in that year. One in five people believe that the lottery is the only way that they can accumulate a significant amount of savings. One in five. And here's the one that took me by surprise. A study taken a few years ago found this out, discovered this, that 15% of all millennials say that the lottery is their retirement plan. Wow. Wow. 15%. They're banking on hitting it big and they're banking on that happening. But like I said, money does strange things to people no matter who you are, which leads me to this following statement. You've heard me say this repeatedly over the two plus years that I've had the privilege of serving here, that serving here has been and is, is probably, not probably, it has been the greatest experience of my ministry days. For 30 years I've been in ministry and these last two years have been an absolute blast for me. I've had the privilege of, of, of walking this church through different things, and I look forward to many, many, many more years ahead as, as I believe that God has great things in store for us, just as he's brought us through so much over the course of this history of this church. For over two years, I've had the privilege of, of bringing you messages every single Sunday or most Sundays from various books of the Bible, various topics have been addressed, and, and it has been a joy. And I want you to hear me again on this. I love you, and it has been a blast serving here. So please keep that in mind in light of what I'm about to say. (laughs) What struck me this week, as I've talked and and as I've, I've talked with myself and talked with the Lord, is this. That when it comes to the issue of biblical generosity, biblical financial generosity, I have failed as a pastor. I have not pastored well in this area. And I ask that you forgive me for that. There's a variety of reasons why I haven't done it. But as I've been working on this series and, and been looking at when we're going to start this series and we have the Haggai Project going on and all this, I'm thinking, Lord, I need your help. Because talking about what we're going to be talking about for the next number of weeks is something that, frankly, 
concerns me greatly. Because I love you. Yet what we need to talk about over the course of the next few weeks is going to elicit a variety of responses from people. And, and some of those responses are going to be this. Some of you are going to feel guilt and, over, and feel overwhelmed to the point of feeling like a failure. And that's not the point of this series. Some of you are going to be angry with me. And you are going to be so angry with me that you are going to compose an email and send it to me expressing your anger to me. Some of you will spend time thinking every single Sunday as the message is being, as the message is being proclaimed about generosity. Your entire time of listening to the message, you are going to be thinking about all the different people that you hope hear this message about generosity while forgetting that God is at work in a variety of ways in, a, in all of our lives. And some of you will say this, that people should already know these things and that our time would be better spent on a different area. Yet in response to that, I say this. You're failing to acknowledge the hard, cold truth that on average, Christ followers contribute a little over 2% of their financial resources to the work of Christ in their local church. And then there will be some, there will be some, who acknowledge the fact that they need to learn how to better navigate this particular area of financial generosity in their lives because they claim that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives and that means that he is Lord of their finances as well. So the whole gamut is covered here. And I come before you not because I have everything figured out or anything like that, but as pastor, I care for you. I care for what's going on in your lives. I care for the battles that that some of you are going through right now. And I care care for all of you as we navigate life in so many different ways. And in this area, I need to do a better job of pastoring. I need to do a better job of presenting what God's Word has to say to that. And so as pastor of this Christ-following community, I get to pastor and shepherd us through these next number of weeks as we take a look at this. And I invite you now to open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29. If you don't know where 1 Chronicles 29 is, it is to the right of Genesis and to the left of Revelation. All right, so it'll be somewhat close to the middle there. All right? That's probably the last laughter we're going to hear this morning, so I'm grateful for that. But listen to these words in 1 Chronicles 29, starting at verse 10. David praised Yahweh in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Yahweh, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Yahweh, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that you would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand, and open our hearts that we would realize how much we need to be transformed by your Holy Spirit when it comes to this area of financial generosity, biblical generosity. We pray that we would take those steps. And Lord, I pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And that in all of this, you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse 10, David praises Yahweh in the presence of the whole assembly, saying the following, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. David is one of the most discussed, most discussed individuals throughout all of the Bible, and what David does here is he gets to the heart of the matter. It's one of the things I love about him. Throughout the Bible, you're going to find all these different stories, about, not the entire Bible, but, but, but you're going to find stories about David. We read about his childhood as a shepherd, how he took on lions and bears to protect the sheep, to protect the flock. We, we read about one of the most famous battles that, that, till, that up, and, and up to and including this day gets referenced all the time when there's some great sporting event where some great champion is taking on a, a, a marked underdog and it's referred to as a battle between David and Goliath. Even people who have never opened the Bible understand that story. They understand the characters in that story. We know that David is a genius by taking a look at all the different psalms that he wrote in the book of Psalms. Experts believe this, that David's IQ was off the charts. He was an amazing man. He was a musician. He was a writer. He was a leader. He was a politician. He was a shepherd. He was all these things. He was a Renaissance man before the Renaissance. And yes, the Bible is very clear on this. He made mistakes. Oh, he made big mistakes. Committing adultery, which is bad enough. But then he decided to top that off by plotting the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Oh, he made big mistakes. And yet, through it all, through it all, David constantly turned to God to rescue him. Never stopped doing that. And so as we take a look over the next number of weeks, I I thought over the next number of weeks of talking about generosity, and we've entitled it Overflow, because God is a generous God. God is constantly giving and giving and giving. What struck me was this, was that this particular passage is very timely. It's timely for a number of reasons, and, and, and as we take a look at this, we need to know this, we need to acknowledge this, that David is in the last season of his life. He's able now to take time to reflect. He's able to take a look back and say, look at all that God has done, not only for me, but through me. David takes that time, and one of the things I love about verse 10 is, he is he, he's unashamed of proclaiming this great news to the people. Notice what it says here. It says, he praised Yahweh in the presence of the entire assembly. 
He could have talked about a whole lot of different things, talked about how great of a, of a kingdom that he's created and all this, but he doesn't do that. He takes the opportunity to share with the people how great our God is. What message are you sharing with people today? Or this upcoming week? Or what message have you been sharing with people over the course of the last number of months? Is it a message that says, this God who I serve, this Lord that I follow, is changing my life and has impacted my life in amazing ways? Or is it some other message that focuses entirely on you and what's going on with you, rather than no acknowledgement of what's going on with him in your life? You see, what ends up happening is David says, I need to talk about these things. As things get wrapped up, I need to talk about these things. I want to go to the heart of the matter, and then I want to invite you to go to the book of Acts and listen to what happens here. This is the assessment of David's heart condition. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, we read these words. Now keep in mind, everything that I said, people were very well aware of all the great things David did and all the not-so-great things David did. And here is the conclusion reached. We find this in verse 22 of Acts chapter 13. After removing Saul, and this is a summary of what's going on and how David became king. After removing Saul, he, meaning God, made David their king. God testified concerning him, and notice this. This is the assessment of David from God's perspective. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Of all the things that could have been said about David, the writer in Acts points to the fact that David is known as a man after God's own heart. So what I was thinking was this, was why not take a look at what David, a man after God's own heart, has to say about God when it comes to generosity. Because if David is a man after God's own heart, then what he's going to say is going to be very consistent with what he's experienced about God's generosity in his life. So back to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we see that he's proclaiming this before all people. And now we come to the second part of verse 10. He says this, Praise be to you, Yahweh, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Yahweh, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. It is impossible to miss. It's impossible to miss that David says, I owe God everything. Look at this list that he creates here. He says, yours is the greatness. Even though I have this great kingdom, yours is the greatness. Yours is the power. Even though I am the most powerful person in this area right now, your power is far greater than that. 
Yours is the glory. Yes, Lord, I have wanted to build this amazing temple for you. And you've said, thanks for the offer, but I'm going to hold off for just a little while. We don't need to do that right now. And yes, Lord, I've written all these glorious things about about you in, in, in the Psalms. And I want that to be known that it's your glory, not my glory. And then he says, the majesty. The majesty and the splendor. Over the course of David's life, he had, he had created majestic things, spectacular things, and yet he says, this is all in response to you, God. Every last bit of it. And then in case he forgot anything, he says this, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. He says, in case I forgot anything, there it is. Everything is yours. He could have gone on and on and on and on and on with this list, but he stops and he says, I can't keep doing this because I would be here forever. God receives praise. David doesn't miss anything. And then look at verse 12. He says this. Wealth and honor come from you. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Right now, do you need strength? Right now, do you need strength to keep going? Right now, do you need strength to battle through the temptations? Right now, do you need strength to battle through the health conditions that you're experiencing? Right now, do you need strength to navigate what's going on with your family? In his hand, in his hand is that strength. In his hand is the strength to give you the power that you desperately need right now. David, as he reflects on the course of his life, over the course of his life, and looks back and sees how God has worked, he realizes this, that God has given him everything. We see what God gives. We see what God gives, and when we see life from that perspective, we can't do anything but respond to his incredible generosity. And he has given so much. And then verse 14, he says this, and these, I have these words underlined in my Bible. He says this, but who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. He sees the amazing generosity of God and his conclusion as this is, I'm nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. I don't, I, I can't measure up. I can't do anything in response to this. I am overwhelmed by your generosity. You see, for David, generosity always begins with God. And it's the right place to start. Notice he doesn't say, well, here's all my resources and now let's figure out what to do with them. He starts by saying, here I am, God. Here you are, God. You are this great God. You are a generous God. You are the one who's created everything. You are the one who sustains everything. You are the one who has greatness, power, glory, majesty, and splendor in heaven and earth. Everything is all yours. And he's saying this over and over again to the people. And he's responding. And as he responds, he says, who am I? Who am I? God's generosity for David is on full display all the time. 
And I want to take a few moments and walk through some of this stuff. And, and how do we see God's generosity on full display? Number one, I would say this. Creation. God created things. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see this amazing creation that God put together. And there are over 100,000... 100, Doggone it, I didn't want to do this. Because I messed up a few weeks ago with numbers. I'm not going to do it now. I'm committed. There are over 100,000 million stars in our galaxy. Just in case you're wondering how big that is, that's a big number. Bigger than the lottery. Our galaxy, our galaxy is one of 100,000 million galaxies. If that doesn't get you, here's another example of God's generosity. Orchids are beautiful flowers. Beautiful flowers. There are over 25,000 varieties of orchids. God could have made an orchid and said, hey, that's pretty good. But he made 25,000 varieties of them. On top of that, here's the deal with flowers. There are over 270,000 types of flowers. God could have said, here's a flower, deal with it. It's really nice because I made it. But he's a generous God. Over 270,000 flowers. Gentlemen, step up and give flowers to your wives. There's plenty to pick from. His creation is one of generosity. He could have only made one flower. He could have only made one tree. But he chooses to, 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 to overflow his generosity in such a way that we have an abundance of all of this. And then I invite you to turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11 and listen to this. God provides in amazing ways. The people are out of, have been taken out of, of Egypt, and in the midst of it, they, they've now come to a place where, where they're really struggling, and they're, they're, they're frustrated. They're, they're wanting to go back. They're saying, in essence, God, you know, you're not taking care of us very well. And so we pick it up in verse 18, and this is one of my favorite passages where you sort of get a sense of God saying, how much more do you want? Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Yahweh heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now Yahweh will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. Yeah, the Bible's that blunt. Until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. In essence, his generosity is so ginormous that you're going to say, "This enough's enough. Enough's enough. But God responds in a generous way. And then, flip a few more pages to the right and go to Psalm 23 the most popular psalm of all the psalms, and listen to these words. Yahweh is my shepherd, and notice the next line, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down. He could make him lie down, but what does he do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. The greatest psalm, that the most popular psalm of all, emphasizes God's generosity again and again. And we see that generosity continue on as we go into Matthew chapter 6. And listen to these words, and these are very apropos for all of us in this room right now. He says this, starting at verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father, get this, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God knows your needs. He knows our needs. And he generously takes care of our needs. And then a few more. Go to Titus chapter 3. We pick it up in verse 3. He says this. Actually, we'll pick it up in verse 4. He says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He doesn't just give us a little bit of the Holy Spirit to get us through the day. He generously provides all that we need as we walk through life and live for Him. And lastly, we come to James chapter 1. And he says this about generosity. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Even in the area of generosity, God, even in the area of wisdom, God is generous. All of us have different things that are going on in our lives at this particular time where we need wisdom, and God says, cry out to me, I will give you so much wisdom, you won't know what to do with it. How do you need wisdom? What's going on in your life where you need that wisdom? God says, I will provide what you need. David is so overwhelmed with this generosity that David responds to God's generosity with his own generosity. Back to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Look at verses 3 and 4. He's listing all these things. And then he says this. Besides, 
in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. That number in today's values is over $4 billion that he gave out of his own personal account. You see, David could not help but be blown away by God's amazing generosity to him. And he says to all of us, I'm a generous God. I'm a generous God who's provided all that you need. How do you then respond to that? That's what he's asking us to take a look at over the course of the next number of weeks as we walk through this series called Overflow, a look at biblical generosity. And as we go through this, we need to ask ourselves these questions. How generous am I? Not just from a financial standpoint, but how generous am I with my time, with my, with my talents, with all these different things that God has blessed me with? How am I responding to his generosity? And then I want to invite you to participate in something. And I want to invite you to participate in a 30-day journey of generosity. And it's real easy to do. If you have a smartphone, and we're going to see these slides come up, and I hope we can see these correctly. But I want to invite you to participate in this, and I'm going to walk you through right now. If you have a smartphone, go ahead and I'll give you permission right now to pop the phone open. But I'm, this is the, the home screen of my, of my phone, and, and for those of you over here, you're not going to be able to see this very well. I apologize. On there, I have circled my Bible app. Just download your Bible app, and that's the one that you're probably going to get. So you download that, you click on that, go to the next one. When you go there, it'll, it'll pop up the screen, and at the bottom of that screen, and it's circled down here, and you're not going to be able to see that very well either, but at the bottom of that screen, it says plans. Click on plans, all right? After you click on plans, go to the next slide. There's going to be a search window. At the top in that search window, type in God's generosity. God's generosity. How does God view generosity and things? And, and uh, so, you, so you type that in, go to the next slide, and you'll see that I've circled that in case I didn't clarify it enough there. It's now circled. Go to God's generosity, boom, and then it will take you to these different plans of God's generosity. I don't know how this is going to happen, but there's a, there's a, uh, I can't really see it because of the glare, but there's this, this one that says a 30-day journey of generosity. You click on that, and then it will take you to the next slide, and it will simply say start plan, you click on that. And you can set up notifications of when to do this. And, and for me, and I, I wasn't paying attention when I did it, so at 4.52, my phone, my phone bings, or blings, whatever you want to call it, and it reminds me, hey, you need to read these passages. And so it's there, it will remind you of that. It's a very easy thing to do, it, it won't take you a whole lot of time. But my hope is, over the course of these 30 days, that we will see and understand better and better God's generosity. 
and what we can do in life and respond to that generosity. We have a God who is incredibly generous. We have a God who goes above and beyond all the time. And we have a God who came and lived among us. And one night, a guy by the name of Nicodemus takes off and goes and sits down with Jesus Christ. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and, and real quickly, Pharisees were not, were not dull people. They were not ignorant people. They were very smart people. They were, they were at the top of the class. And so Nicodemus is having this conversation with Jesus Christ, and he's asking all these different questions, and, and Nicodemus can't get his mind around what's happening. And Jesus says these words to him in verse 10. He says, you're Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is a generous God, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, that generosity is what rescues humanity. God gave. And he asks us now, how do we respond to that generosity. Over the course of these weeks, we're going to take a look at different passages. But may we not forget, as we look at these different passages, that generosity always starts with God. And we respond to that with our lives. Father, we pray now as we reflect on these words, we thank you first and foremost for your incredible generosity that you give abundantly, that you never stop giving abundantly. And we pray right now that your Holy Spirit that you've given in abundance would minister to each and every one of us, wherever we are in life right now. And that you would move in such a way that we would respond in generosity to your generosity. And as David says, but who am I and who are my people to give because you're so generous? And we understand that because we're overwhelmed by your amazing generosity. And we would ask that you would move in our lives over the course of these next weeks that we would grow in understanding, not only in our understanding of generosity, but that we would then grow into being even more generous people. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So I invite you to stand as we sing a couple more songs reflecting on this great generosity of Jesus Christ.